You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Hello. Hey, I want to thank you for being such a generous church. You saw the video roll in with the uh, food pantry that you guys have been engaged in since March, and that's, an, that's a staggering number. I mean, just last week alone, you handed out over 17,500 pounds of food, and 900 people were impacted by what you did just last Saturday. And throughout this process, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that has a heart for the community and that, that rolls up their sleeves and gets in and gets her done. I mean, those of you who helped us with the back-to-school effort, we've blessed four schools now in our district that we've adopted and that we, we engage in ministry with on, on four school campuses with administration, teachers, everything. Thank you for that. Thank you for helping students get ready to go back to a school year. It, it looks different right now, but it's still the start of a school year. And so, you know, parents, for those of you having to be the, the, the in-home educator, give yourself a hand, please. You did it. You're making it. You know, you might, you might not feel proud of yourself. You might have lost it a couple times this week, but hang in there, okay? Hang in there. If you are a teacher, God bless you. We love you. You have, you have so much on your plate, and we just want to extend a lot of grace and love to you, and thank you for that. If you're an administrator, yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad my kids are growing out of the house, y'all because I would not be good at this educational system that we got to do now. Uh, so, But thank you for being such a generous church and, and a heart for our community, a heart for people. This year we started with a series we normally do every January called Focus. And it's really to hone us in on vision and, and what God's calling us to do. And this year we've seen a lot of change. There's been a lot of uncertainty around so many things. However, even in that uncertainty, we can still have clarity when we launched 2020 with that series, Focus, we, we wanted to have clarity around who God's called us to be, what God's calling us to do. Ultimately, what is the vision for this, this group of people that, that, that gather from all different places now called The Creek? What is God's vision for us? And, and, and we set some clarity in, in January. And even in uncertainty, we can still move forward in clarity. You know, understand that. Things can be uncertain. Everything around us can be uncertain, but, but the vision and the calling and the promises and, and presence of God can bring absolute clarity in the midst of uncertainty. And, and I felt it was just important for us to kind of come back to that and, and this series we're stepping into called Refocus because there's a lot of times when life hits us that we just lose focus. We kind of lose what's important, what's, what's urgent, what's, what's unimportant, and what do I just need to avoid, and, and kind of just getting locked in and dialed in again. And I, th- that vision that God has given us is, is really, uh, we call them the set-ins around here. And, and I want to show you in a, in a prayer that Paul prayed to the Ephesian church where these set-ins really kind of take life and shape for us here at the creek. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul praying for him. He says, 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. So he's talking about, he's hit family, set in family, set in relationship, that Christ is dwelling in our heart, that, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That's, that's the freedom of God that's expansive and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We, we, we lock in on some, some, some key points in that passage, in that prayer, that, that the vision that God has called us to pursue at the creek, it really isn't different than any other church. It shouldn't be different than any other church who has Jesus as the head. But th those vision statements that we make have specific vocabulary for the way we do things around here. They become our filter. And that's the set in relationship. That's salvation. Set in family. That's connectedness with each other. Set in freedom. That's, that's getting, getting free of the past. See, Jesus forgives and redeems the past. He, he gets the past. He gets you out of your past. And what freedom does is he's got to get your past out of you. I mean, take that back to the, the people of Israel. He, he led them out of Egypt, led them out of bondage, and then he spends a lot of time in the wilderness getting Egypt out of the people. Now, that's what freedom is. And the next one is set in motion that, that we are a people who are called to go. Jesus says, as you go, make disciples. I mean, the go looks so beautiful around here because I, 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 that's what I started out with. I love being a part of a church that the, takes the go so seriously. I mean, you go to the schools, you go, you go to our community, you go to the homeless community, you, go, you are going in so many areas of our, of our society and our community with the, 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 the fuel that only comes through the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not your power that you're serving in, it's, it's His. And those, those set-in statements really solidify the things we do around the creek, the things that we focus on. Does this help people get saved, set in relationship? Does this connect people and groups is our main structure for that? Does this help connect people and set in family? Does this help get people freedom? So, so getting out of their past and moving past the bondage and, and the things that we get ourselves into and those hangups. And, and does this get people moving in a direction where Jesus can lead them? And, and that's every filter. And over the next several weeks, we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into those set-in statements to really bring a clarity and a refocusing on those vision elements. <clears throat> so if you got your Bible, we'll be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is a famous, uh, most famous verse. You know, you're not going to get to see it as much during football season because they won't have crowds. So maybe one of the groundskeepers will hang up, John 3.16, somewhere in the stadium. But uh, John 3 is where we're going to be, and <clears throat> this, this set-in relationship that we're going to discuss is salvation. Salvation <clears throat> is the priority. It's what Paul said to the church in Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to remind you of the gospel. That's the good news. We're going to get to that throughout this teaching. But I want to remind you of the gospel, which I preach to you 
as of first importance. See, everything that, that we do as a church is, is for this reason, to get people out of hell. I mean, we, we live in a world that is broken, and we have to face the reality that, that none of us have the righteousness to earn or gain heaven. And so there are people that, that their life is on a trajectory of an eternal separation from God. And the number one thing that we do as Christ followers, the number one thing that we do as a church, unapologetically, above any ministry and anything, it is this. It is to make the person and work of Jesus very clear. That's the gospel, the good news, that, that in our brokenness, Jesus paid for, his, for our life with his. And he was resurrected on the third day. And the good news becomes very tangible in our life because as, you're, as we're going to see with a man named Nicodemus and the way Jesus teaches about this relationship called salvation, that changes the trajectory of eternity. That doesn't just make a day good. That, that changes the trajectory of eternity in our connection, our relationship with God. And when we think of eternity, we got we to gotta think about Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. He said that, Father, that may they know the one you sent, me, Jesus, and may they know eternal life. And he, he, he wraps that together that knowing Jesus is eternal life. Eternal, eternity, we, we get it caught up in a time sense, right? We think eternity is tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. Eternity, as Jesus explains it, is a relationship. That we enter into this relationship through salvation, and it is of first importance. You don't get freedom without salvation. You don't get connected in a spiritual family without salvation. You don't have the energy and the staying power to go and serve the world without salvation. Now, we can, we can muster up some good acts, but this motion is fueled by the Holy Spirit. That's where it becomes a truly sacrificial form of service. It all starts and hinges on salvation. And in John chapter 3, Jesus has a, a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Before chapter 3, at the end of chapter 2, we, we see this little passage where, where it gives us some insight into the conversation that's about to be had, that Jesus knows the heart of every man. I mean, he's fully God. He's fully man. He is all the fullness of God's deity is pleased to dwell in Christ and he knows and perceives the hearts and the thoughts of man. And here we go into this conversation because it's going to seem like Jesus is answering something other than what Nicodemus is asking. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Can I call him Nick throughout the rest of our time together? Just because Nicodemus, I is, you know, because when I get to preaching and I get, get rolling, Nicodemus is too many syllables for me to say. So let me just call him Nick. He knows who I'm talking about. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nick, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nick is, is coming to a point here where he's like, he's part of the Pharisees. He's actually in the ruling council of, of the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the leading council for the Jews. I mean, when Jesus was brought before the council later when he was arrested, Nick is in there. Nicodemus is in there. And, and the Pharisees had a hard time with Jesus. Most of the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus because he threatened their, their, their power structure. He threatened their territory. He threatened their mindset. And, and it's interesting, 
Nick's got some questions that he wants to ask Jesus. He, he, he comes to Jesus at night, and a lot of people go, well, you should have come during the day. You got to come to Jesus in the day. You know what? He came to Jesus, y'all. But he comes to Jesus. He didn't send one of his advisors. He didn't send an assistant like, go to Jesus and ask him this list of questions. He says, I got questions. I'm going to the man. And he recognizes an authority in Jesus already. He says, no, no one can do what you've done. He recognizes you teach with authority. He recognizes that Jesus heals with authority. There's something about you. The only way that this could be happening is if, if God's anointing and God's favor and God's hand is on you, Jesus. And I, got, I just wanna, I wanna ask you some things. And Jesus answered them because Jesus, <laughs> Jesus already knows the question before we even ask. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Nicodemus has not yet asked him a question, but Jesus knows ultimately what he's seeking. See, it goes back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that, that God set eternity in the heart of man. You and I are born broken. You and I are born with this disconnect of holiness, a disconnect of righteousness, and a disconnect in our relationship with God. And God has set eternity in the heart of man because we're created in the image of God. We're created and wired to be in relationship with him. And there has to be a way for that to be reconnected. And Nicodemus is ultimately asking the deeper questions. And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom unless he's born again. And Nicodemus said, how, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, insert internal monologue of Jesus here like this dude doesn't have a clue. Like, you know, Nick, 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 calm, settle down, brother. You're, you're taking this, this wrong direction. But understand, you've got to see some foundation here for this conversation. He's asking Jesus, what do I do? Jesus just said, you have to be born again. And immediately Nicodemus goes back to, what do I do? I can't do that. How do I, how do I, how do I? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You know, don't get hung up on that question. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What Jesus is, is coming into Nicodemus with here is, is, is you're trying to create an explanation before experience. And we do that. We want to fully understand something before we're willing to experience it. What Jesus is teaching Nicodemus is it's just the opposite. You have to experience it, and that experience creates the explanation. I, mean, I, I know this about my physical birth. I was there. Well, how did it happen? Well, there's children present in the room, and you don't know if you're ready to have that discussion yet. But only on the other side of my birth can I explain to you the experience. Jesus says that's the same thing with the things of God. That this, this rebirth, being born again, is something you experience, and then that becomes your life, that becomes your testimony, and the, the experience it then creates the explanation. 
Too many of us like, I, I, can't, I can't submit to this. I can't, I can't I, I, tell me how this happens. Tell me how Jesus is the son of God. Tell me how Jesus was born of a virgin. Tell me how Jesus was able to pay for my sins. Tell me how he hung on a cross and tell me how he was, he was raised on the third day. Tell me how he walked through the walls. Tell me all this. Help me understand this. And to that, I can say, you, you, you have to experience it. It's like the wind. I can't explain to you every facet of the wind, but you know what? When you experience it, you start to build the discussion. Nicodemus said to him, how, how can these things be? Again, he's wanting the explanation. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If, I, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is speaking of himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He, he's referring back to Numbers chapter 21. When, when, the, when God had led the people of Israel out of, out of bondage in Egypt, um, they end up in some disobedience. It's an interesting read, but they, they would find themselves in disobedience and they, find, they, they get struck by a plague of snakes. And so they're getting snake bitten and people are dying from the snake bites. And God commands Moses to, ra to raise up a, a staff with a serpent on it and all who look upon that will be healed. And, what, and Nicodemus would understand this. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. That's, that's his whole educational system and process was to know what the Old Testament says. It wasn't called the Old Testament then. It was just called the book of the law. And then they had the prophets and, and he knew that. And so when Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the staff, so the son of man must be lifted up. And Nicodemus is like, wait, there was healing involved with all those who looked on what Moses raised because God told them to do that and God is faithful and God had salvation for the people in what, what Moses raised up. And Jesus is saying, just like that, the son of man, the one you're looking at, the one that you have already declared at the beginning of this conversation, Nicodemus, has come from God because the authority of God, the power of God, and the presence of God is on me. I must be lifted up so all who look on me and believe that they will be healed will be healed. Those will be saved. And then Jesus goes on to say the most powerful verse for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then from 17 through the rest of, of John chapter 3, Jesus then begins to speak of the implications of what that relationship means. It takes off the condemnation. And he explains that we're now... We're now, we're now working in the light. We're no longer a slave to the darkness and, and, and there's no more condemnation. And, and, and Nicodemus is hearing this and it's, it's, it's Jesus is laying out this relationship called salvation. See, see it's, it's the beautiful gospel, verse 16. If we had no other verse in all of scripture other than verse 16, it is enough to show us that God loves us and loves us fully and loves us sacrificially, and loves us in such a way that brings life, that, that, that there's a, a faith element that comes into this. And, and God's love was given before we could even give it back. 1 John 4 tells us that, that we love because he first loved us. The capacity to love started from a source that's not us. And that love is sacrificial, and that love is, 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 is 
full. Jesus took on our punishment, paid our price, and now offers us this new life in him. The key in this is belief. And what he's explaining to Nicodemus in this is is birth establishes the relationship. You must be born again. You are born into this family. But what about the spirit of adoption? Yes, that's the spirit that comes on. But at salvation, there's a, a birth that happens where spirit moves in and takes up residence. And we are born into this family. Birth establishes the relationship with God through Christ. We experience that through belief. And the key has to be belief. It goes beyond intellect. Nick is coming. It's like, like I, I want to know. And Jesus is saying, Salvation isn't just knowing. Salvation is experiencing. Salvation is submitting. Salvation is believing. Salvation is surrendering everything into the hand of God. It is trusting Jesus as reliable and relying on him for the power to change our life. Not getting caught up into all the things we could do. Nick had religion, but he didn't have a relationship. He was a ruler in the religious system. And yet he comes back to, and, and, and Pharisees believe that salvation was based off of their actions because he says, I want this relationship. How do I do it? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And well, well, Nick automatically goes back into how do I, how do I take control of this in my, on my own? And we, we do the same thing. I mean, we, we bargain with God. I've done this for you. God, I do all these things for you. When you ask people about the condition of their soul for eternity, most of the responses we get are, I'm a good person. Because we've taken salvation and we've cheapened it and we've made it not even a relationship with Jesus, but it's based on my actions. It's based on what I do. And relationship, salvation, the relationship of salvation is never based on what we do. It's based on who we know. I mean, when, when, we, when we ask about salvation and we even get wrapped up in this because when we start failing at life and we start feeling like I can't string along enough good decisions in a row and good actions, we fall back on, well, let me look at the sum, the greater sum of my overall actions. I'm a good person. I do good. How's your relationship with Jesus? Well, I served at the food bank. How's your, how's your walk with God? How is that relationship going? I give. I serve. I do these things. And, and what happens is we start to believe this lie that, that righteousness ultimately comes by what we do. And what that, what that really is, is it twists up and we fall into this trap. It's called self-righteousness and it's not a salvation at all. It's not a relationship with Christ. We've turned this into, uh, I do this, you do this. I mean, think about how we get in that. God, I've been a good boy. I've done all these things. Why are you not blessing me? I was speaking with a man this week that, that spent a year and a day in prison. Innocent. He said the first night, he went into this little TV area and he was just crying out to God. He said, I, I, I was cussing at God. I was, I mean, I was getting raw with God. And, and he said, I was telling God, I've done all this for you. I've, I've served in ministry. I've given. I've sacrificed for you. I've done all this for you, God. And you know this above everyone else that I'm innocent. 
And he said, as clear as I could explain it to anyone else, I heard this, I was innocent too. And we start thinking that God owes us something based on what we do. And if that's, if that's where you're at, I, I'm asking you to check your heart a little bit because you're probably walking and operating at a level of self-righteousness that needs to die. Because it's not about what you do, but who you know. I mean, even when we say we do all these things, I mean, in Matthew chapter 7, people were saying, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Didn't we do all this in your name? And Jesus goes, yeah, you did all that. But here's the problem. I never knew you. You were doing these things outside of relationship. And you were thinking these things that you were doing created the relationship when all I'm asking is to have a relationship. Think about my marriage. What what if my marriage was based on just what I do? Hey, you've been gone a long time ago because I don't do so good. <laughs> Matt, do you love Heather? I've got a job. Do you love Heather? I put food on the table, don't I? Do you love Heather? We got a house. Do you love Heather? I, I listen to her. It would be a shallow, hollow marriage that really is not a marriage at all because it, beco- it becomes a relationship based on reciprocity, not based on love. See, to love is to know, and to know is to love. And this relationship that we call salvation with Jesus means this, that we are fully known and we are fully loved. And he knows us. He calls us to know him. Because if, if salvation is not about what we do, but who we know, then who we know determines who we are. The people we spend our time with, the relationships in our life, are key to developing identity. How do I know this? Because... I walk, every one of us walked through this in high school. I mean, my high school days, I went from Z Cavaricis, if you don't know what those are, Google them, it's a good time. They were like, you know, funky, funky pants, you know. They weren't cheap. I went from those to Wranglers. Why? Not because of fit and style. It's because I wanted acceptance with a group of people. We all do the same thing. We start to become the people that we want acceptance from, and we kind of morph into that. I mean, we, we all want that acceptance in our life. And, and if you don't like who you are, let me ask you this. Ask you to reevaluate your relationships. Because the people we spend time with have influence on our life. And I'm not saying you cut off all, all people like, well, they're not saved, they're not Christian, so I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying isolate. I'm saying you might need to insulate yourself from some of the relationships that you have in your life because maybe you're starting to become more like who they are instead of them becoming more like who you are. And this relationship with Christ 
sets us in a relationship, sets us in with him. And we don't have to seek acceptance from anyone else. We're fully loved and accepted in him. And what happens is he begins to transform us from the inside out. He sets our identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does that mean? The old mat is dead. The mat that had such a desire for acceptance is dead. The mat that would change who he is to get get one group of people to like him, he's dead. The one who, who based my righteousness on my own actions, he's dead. I am now a new creation in Christ. The new has come. He sets that identity, and that identity has a foundation. It's it's two words in there. In Christ. In Christ. Salvation sets the relationship in Christ. That determines who we are. Who we know determines who we are. Who we are then comes back around to determine what we do. It's the cart and the horse. I work out of that identity. This is where we miss so much of the Bible. This is where we we reduce the Bible and thoughts of salvation down to this checklist and this rules. That the Bible is just a do's and don'ts book. And if I do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then I'm good. And that's what salvation is. And we, we reduce it down and we think that that's somehow how, how it works and it's not. When we see that God is shaping our identity and shaping our character, then what happens? It changes the lens for us to see the world. It changes how we engage our activity. It changes the motivation for what I do and why I do it and where I'm gonna go. It changes everything because I'm now operating out of an identity that is alive in Christ. That changes the whole lens. And and I'm set in relationship with God through Christ. And that makes my life become an outflow of identity. And James chapter 2 is where we see this absolutely just go off the rails. And we've used this this passage to say, see, see, it is what I do. Because James would say, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And he would go on like, you show me works, I'll show you faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. And, and the enemy has come in and twisted this up so much that we think it's what we do that gets faith. It's what we do that gets salvation, and that's not the case. We've twisted it. We've put the cart in front of the horse, and we're heading for a train wreck. It's gotten way off base and we've started relying on our own actions and we get out of order. Works, listen to me, listen to me. Works do not save you. There is one work that secured salvation and you didn't do it. It was accomplished by Christ on the cross and Christ walking from the tomb fully resurrected that when we believe in him, we have that relationship called salvation. It's not what I do. My works don't save me. The belief, we're saying, Ephesians 2.8 puts that to bed, man, because it's, it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. And it is not from your own hands. It is the free gift of God. And it's in verse 9 would say, if, if you could do it, you would, you'd brag about it. Well, how's your life with Jesus? Man, that's great, man. I'm doing great. I did it all. Jesus didn't even have to get off the throne. But we've got to understand that the works come out of an identity that is alive by faith. That's the relationship. 
This was a revolutionary concept to Nick. And we know it had a profound impact on his life. That conversation changed it all for Nick because we see Nicodemus again in John chapter 19 after the crucifixion of Jesus where Joseph of Arimathea had asked to take the body down so that it may be properly prepared and buried. And we see in John 19, 38 through 42, Nick, Nicodemus is there helping to lay the body of Jesus in this tomb. Because that revolutionary concept became a revolutionary life. This is still a revolutionary concept today because we get so wrapped up in thinking it's our actions and it's what we do. And it is a gift. Jesus already knows your questions before he asks them, but what he's answering you right now is the greatest answer is that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I gave my life just as Moses raised up the staff. I was raised up on a cross. I took your penalty and I took your shame. I took your guilt. I took your sin. I took your past. I took your present. I took your future. And it was all laid on me. And I bore the wrath of God that we so deserved. And it was put on me for your sake. That in me, In me, I had no sin. I took it all on so that in me, you can be declared the righteousness of God. That you can be declared in this relationship called salvation. And so what what is your relationship with Jesus based on? Is it based on what you do? Or is it based on you knowing him and being fully known by him? And listen, if you've been on the hamster wheel of religion, I want to invite you off of that. And I want you to experience the beautiful, miraculous, eternal relationship that is salvation. That only comes through Christ. And if if you've gotten off base and you've gone back to trying on your own and relying on your own actions, then I just want to call you back to refocus on Jesus and and come back to that foundation of relying on his power to be at work within you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of grace that you brought through the cross, this gift of salvation. I'm asking you today to bring new life. For those that, for those that are that are hearing you, Jesus, not just my words, but they're the Holy Spirit is stirring and and there's just something drawing in and and you're drawn in to the goodness and the grace of Jesus that I ask that you just have the courage to say to Jesus, I believe you. I can't explain all of this, but I want to experience it. You'll teach me the explanation after the experience. But Jesus, I'm asking right now to experience life in your name and life in you, life through the cross and life through your resurrection and life through forgiveness and life through salvation and life in this relationship that sets me with you for all eternity. 
I believe you took my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. And I believe you love me. I believe you accept me. And I believe in this moment there's a birth happening. And that from this moment throughout eternity is the relationship with you that I get to enjoy and deepen. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me in a relationship. Father, I'm asking you to refocus people today that, that through, through times of uncertainty, we lean back into our own actions. And I'm just asking for the grace and the repentance right now to say, Jesus, forgive me for, for creating this, this false hope in my self-righteousness, this false hope in the things that I do. I come back to this foundation. I refocus on your work, your finished work of the cross come back to the foundation that my life is in you and you alone. We thank you for salvation, for it is the greatest thing that will ever happen in all of eternity and in all of creation. We thank you for setting us in relationship and for your desire that all, all come to that relationship because Jesus, you so loved us. Father, you gave Jesus for us sacrificially to take on our sin so that when we place our faith, our belief in you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, we will not perish but have eternal life with you, a life to be lived for the fullness and to the fullness of your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from The Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at